worship is a surrendered life, a life laid down. It's a response to what Jesus has done in the cross and resurrection. And our response is called worship. So in some sense, our everyday taking out the trash, loving our kids, being patient with our spouses is, is worship when it's driven by a response to the good news of Jesus. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hello, friend. Thank you for pushing play and listening to the podcast episode today. I probably say this every week, but this is a particularly great conversation, and I'm glad you're sharing it with me. Over the past several episodes, we've talked to people making worship music. We've discussed the shift in Christian music to a more worship-oriented theme. Instead of singing songs about life, we've shifted to singing songs to God rather than about God. But one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is how easy it is to make worship about that five-minute song we sing in church or stream on our phones. Are we losing the exercise of worship being a way of life? In today's episode, I'm chatting with Charlie Hall. He's a worship music leader for the past couple of decades. And as a prolific worship songwriter, Charlie has been shifting his thinking about what worship really is. I, too, have been thinking about the role of music in my worship. Should worship exist outside of music? Charlie and I are going to explore just that. What is worship, and how do we do it better? Before we hear today's conversation, I want to take a couple of minutes to tell you about another great program run by Mercy, Inc. Bridge to Reading is a program run in 12 Central African countries and the country of Colombia in South America. This program provides hope by teaching illiterate adults how to read and write. Let me share you just some of the reasons why this is so important. First, there is an economic impact for families who can finally read or write business transactions. In many of these countries, women are marginalized after they pass through their childbearing years, so being able to read and write offers dignity in the home. Or my favorite story is of pastors who are teaching the gospel but can't read it so they have their kids read the Bible to them. Can you imagine the joy a pastor feels when he can finally read God's Word on his own? Learning to read is also a powerful evangelism tool that helps believers learn to read the Bible in their own language. If helping people learn to read resonates with you, I'd encourage you to visit mercyinc.org slash literacy. You can learn about Bridge to Reading there, and you can find out how you can be involved in teaching illiterate adults how to read. That's mercyinc.org literacy, and thank you for your willingness to help provide hope for generations. Music has been a part of worship since before King David wrote the Psalms. Throughout history, artists have been using their voices and instruments to interact with God in a variety of ways. And today we are talking with one of those artists. Charlie Hall is a worship pastor at Frontline Church in Oklahoma City. And before that, he was involved in the Passion Church, uh, which is a more modern-day outgrowth of worship. But besides being a worship leader, father, and all-around great guy, he's a fellow member of the Brotherhood of the Beard. And so I (laughs) want to welcome to the podcast Charlie Hall. Charlie, welcome. Hey, man. Thank you, Dave. Good to see you, see you and good to be here. Yeah, it's been fun for me. We've, I've talked uh, talked with John Cooper and then did a little bit with uh, with Crowder and, you know, all these well-follicled beard people like you and me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's That's fun funny. to have that. Yeah. Well, we were starting off. Uh, you're in Oklahoma City. Yes. And I misunderstood or misremembered that you've actually been here uh, most of your life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I moved here when I was six years old and have, have been here ever since. And even when I was touring extensively, uh, I, 
I decided to stay here. There was a chance initially to move to Nashville. And I just decided like this would be, um, I was actually part of a local church. And so I didn't, um, didn't want to leave that, didn't want to move from that. So I, I, I thought, you know, if God's behind this, I can stay here and he will get me where I need to be. And, uh, and then, um, fast forward when, when Louis was planting passion city church, um, you know, there was an invitation to our whole record label to, yeah. to move there. And, and, uh, I, I once again just stayed in Oklahoma City and and uh so this is this is my city man and I you know early on post high school I tried to get out of get out of town a couple times you know but I really I really love my city and especially now that I'm I've been a pastor at this church that I'm at now for 12 years yeah. and so I'm I'm rooted in this city I love this city I pray for this city I eat in this city yeah. I, laugh in this city i've got my friends in this city so this is this is where god's put me okay you open the door you eat in the city what is your go-to food <laughs> um man you know i i love uh i love asian food you oh. know what actually i'll answer it this way we i live at this strange cross-section of like um, we have a, a massive Asian district here. Okay. Um, we've got a bunch of Afghani families that have moved close by. Hmm. Um, we have um, the the finances in this uh, in our neighborhood to like create uh, great restaurants and food. Okay. And so we have this like merger of cultures: Vietnamese, uh, Korean, and then that affects like barbecue it affects everything oh, sure. so we have this strange culture cross-section and uh so i love the food right here uh in close in my neighborhood because it's it's so uh it's so unique and different pick something different every night of the week huh yeah for sure <laughs> well you talked about being moved to oklahoma city when you were six let's talk about when music started becoming part of your life was that from the very get-go and how did that get started uh you know i i uh I think I started writing poetry and realizing I could sing when I was about 12 or 13. Okay. And then I picked up the guitar at age 14 and kind of taught myself and was just then from, from there, like probably the next three or four years, I was just writing songs and, um, you know, doing the talent shows at the school and, <laughs> right. you know, playing the bar mitzvahs and the birthday parties. Uh, and then, um, man, God saved me when I was 17 and all of that songwriting and playing and singing and poetry turned into like, here, I'm going to write my prayers. Yeah. And, uh, so when I was 17 was when I really started writing prayers, which eventually I discovered was going to be called worship music. I was such a new follower of Jesus that, um, I didn't even completely understand what I was doing at mm, the time. So. Yeah. So was music then was an outlet of who you were, and then when you changed, the music topic changed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I had a, I mean, you know, God saves me, and then my, I truly was transformed. I mean, it was a pretty radical, um, miraculous rebirth of, of my heart and life, and so just my hunger, my desire, my thirst really shifted. Um, and I was very passionate to uh, walk with God, stay close to God, grow in God. Yeah. And um, man, uh, so my songwriting just immediately became like cries, prayers, uh, shouts, desires. Uh, <laughs> sure. All, you know, I would meditate on scripture pretty frequently and, and uh, the way I would try to memorize it and meditate on it was to was to sing it yeah you know and um that was like i think i was 19 years old i was trying to memorize uh psalm 24 okay and that's when give us clean hands was written it uh -huh. was just me in my little apartment trying to memorize a, a, a psalm <laughs> well i find it interesting that god has chosen to make our brains kind of trigger when you tie words to music yeah you know you always talk about you've got this memory when you played the song that, you know, you met your wife with, or the first time you went uh, somewhere as a high school student, and this song is what captures itself in your mind. Yeah. My, my listeners will remember that I talk a lot about, I couldn't tell you Best Western's phone number because it's tied <laughs> to a song, right? 
So yeah. it's interesting how that ties together in our prayer life too. And you know, we talk obviously. David is kind of the king of that, uh, making music. When you were first starting to write, were your songs just for you, like you said, to memorize scripture, or what was it that kind of helped you realize, oh, this is going to be helpful for other people too? Yeah, um, it's interesting. I mean, I was, I've always because of my. Uh, love for poetry and my love to try to be unique. Um, I was always trying to write something that was poetic and unique and interesting and different. Um, but simultaneously, they were just um, birthed in those, they were birthed in those prayers, they were birthed in those meditations. And so I noticed like, because, uh, you know, God saves me, I, I start going to church and um, my youth pastor's like, Hey, you play the guitar, you sing, you, <laughs> you're, you're going to do the songs. Yeah. You're in. <laughs> yeah. easy. Uh, so once I started like taking the songs that I was writing and the, and the scriptures I was meditating on, I was leading this youth group and I would say, I would stop and just say, Hey, let's, let's, uh, let's sing this part again. And I, I didn't know I'm leading worship. I didn't even know it. I'm just yeah. trying to help them do what I do in my living room. Okay. And uh, let's let's stop and let's sing this part again and let's pray it. And um, sometimes when I'm when I'm at my house and I'm praying this, I'll I'll hold out my hands or I'll lift up my hands, you know. And we're a little traditional Baptist church at the time, sure. so so this was uh, this was crazy for the church. But <laughs> yeah. we started doing that as a youth group, and you felt the presence of God just rush in, like Very cool. just to slow down and focus on on the prayer, and then to posture your body in a way that was like, Hey God, we're, we're here for you. Yeah. I mean, it just, the, I've ne- I'd, I'd not experienced the the presence of God, uh, up until that moment, you know, the, the felt presence of yeah. God Yeah, yeah. and, uh, man, it just filled up the room and it, it was just changing everything. Well, I, I have two ways I want to go with the question, but you've referred a couple of times to the dramatic change that God made in your life when you were 17. And, and I think there's such a benefit to us to hear people's salvation stories. Yeah. So what was it that at age 17 caused you to go uh, about face <laughs> and change yeah. your perspective? And, and what did that look like as a 17-year-old for you? <laughs> well, you know, my, my parents had, um, uh, had me go to church, you know, in my younger child years, um, and then as I got older, they just gave me the choice and, and I tapped out, you know, around sixth grade, seventh grade. So was this a, a Christian home that you grew up in? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yes, I would definitely describe it, you know, as, um, as what most people would describe as a Christian home. I don't know how devout we were. I believe my mother was, my mom really loved Jesus. I think my dad did, you know, but it's hard to find out, think about where we were on the spectrum of, of what a devout Christian home would look like. And it's certainly hard to raise your kids in a faith, you know, that <laughs> yeah. is uh, so easy to um, reject. Mm-hmm. But I, I tapped out of going to church, which I have a, I have a high value for the local church right now and, um, and, and what God's intended for it to be. But at that point, I had, I had none of that in my, in my mind or heart. And so I, I left and left to my own devices, just like we know from scriptures, left to my own devices, I'm going to just choose mostly the wrong route. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you put our, you put our passions and our, our personalities and then our, you know, our unbridled hunger to do whatever we want. And I had about six years where I just, I didn't even know that I was doing things wrong. I was just living, mm. but yeah. Man, it just slowly but surely, I was just kind of uh, circling the drain, as they say. Oh, and yeah. and, um, and thank God, you know, it's like I, I got to the end of myself um, at 17, which created more questions and prayers. Mm. A lot of people don't get to the end of themselves, you know, for many years after that. That's an interesting and, phrase, Charlie. What do you mean yeah. by the end of yourself? Oh, just that, you know, like that we don't have it in ourselves to save ourselves, to become who we're supposed to be, okay. um, that we're made, we're, you know, at a bare minimum, you look at creation and you're like, there's something else out there. <laughs> right. Uh, you know? And so I, I think uh, I got to the end of myself in terms of like knowing that I needed something outside of myself mm. uh, 
to come for me yeah. and help me. And I knew enough uh, from my early early childhood days to call on Jesus. And my prayer, my salvation prayer was, you know, Jesus, if you're real, please show me. Yeah. And uh, I really, I really needed to know he wasn't just the God of my parents or the the God that America made up. Right. You know? Yeah. I needed him to know he was he was real and. It was a brief prayer. I, re- I, I remember it in my room. And uh, and then I remember, like, I fast forward two weeks later, and all of a sudden I start to look at the previous two weeks, and I'm like, there's something different about me. Hmm. And I, I don't even know, like, what's happened, but it was there's something different about my desires, my, the way that I want to treat people, love people. I started really wanting to, like, be around people that love Jesus. I had two friends that had really um, reached out to me and, and from their faith and I started spending time with them. And so my desires were changing and, uh, where I wanted to put my time and how I wanted to use my, my mind and my intellect and my, my soul, which includes so much of who, all, all of who we are. Right. So all that was changing. And I just, I just kind of woke up and I was like, man, something is different. And then I immediately remembered the prayer that I prayed, Jesus, show me if you're real. And uh, all of a sudden, my mind lit up. Man, he's real. And I remember, like, it, right in that time, I just started devouring the Bible and uh, going to church. And I, I asked, you know, immediately asked for help from the youth minister. You know, things that a seventeen-year-old kid has a hard time doing. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's not just naturally put in them. <laughs> um, but man, I all that stuff woke up inside of me and. I'm still very rebellious like I was then, but um, I know where to bring my rebellion and I know where to repent of my rebellion now. And so uh, I feel like that's forward trajectory. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate, uh, I was listening to somebody just the other day, they were talking about, you know, God loves us the way we are, whether that's rebellious or not creative or whatever. And our opportunity, you know, his mercies are new every morning that whole thing of being able to say, okay, God, you know who I am and you're going to use me just the way I am because you love me just the way I am. Now that doesn't mean you don't want to make me better or something else. Yeah. But that's just amazing to me that our God is saying, Dave, Charlie, Susie, I love you just like you are and crazy about being in a relationship with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think Tim Keller said, um, uh, we're, we're received by God just like we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. I like that. And I like that I because um, he's so kind to not love a future version of me. Mm. You know, like I think a lot of times I interact with God in a way that where I'm like, hey, quickly make me who you want me to be so that you love me more. Mm, yeah. And he's like, no, <laughs> I love you right now. Yeah. Um, and I And also I am transforming you. Well, you said something a little bit earlier when you said that you were asked to play guitar at youth group and you were all of a sudden, you didn't know what you were doing, but you were leading worship. Do you think that that's part of the transformation that God was making in your life to to say, let's use music as a way to focus people's attention? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I was just translating how I was spending time with God into a room of people for us to spend time with God. And, um, and so that was a, that was a big moment to, to be able to take the love I had for music and poetry and now Jesus and scripture and merge them together and watch them impact a room. And I could have, I didn't have visions of grandeur of like, well, now I can travel the world and do this. It (laughs) was like, Hey, let's just do this with this 75 people for the rest of my life, you know? And, um, and then shortly after that, I started going to, um, um, there was a local worship leader in Oklahoma City named Dennis Jernigan. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And yeah. And he had these, he held these uh, nights of worship that were about three hours long. And I started going there. I'll skip most of the story, but um, man, I really like, I discovered their uh, devotion, attention, affection to God. You know, he opened up a world of songwriting to me that yeah. um, that I didn't hadn't fully understood yet in terms of like worship, music, mm-hmm. um, praise, lament, um, all you know the the psalmist, the full psalmist expression. Yeah, 
And, um, and I learned a lot from, from him. He, he was a real gift to me and became a friend. Um, and then shortly after that, I started, I had a mentor who was, you know, he was in his, uh, he was probably in his forties, which at the time I thought sounded old. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now I'm like, uh Oh yeah. I'm right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm probably older than he was now. Yeah. You know, uh, anyways, he, he started inviting me to, he, he, he led these, uh, nights of prayer and worship for like college students and young families. And he okay. invited me to lead worship for it. And it was, a uh, it was very, very charismatic and I didn't realize it going into it. So, um, it was in the days, not everybody's going to understand this, but it was in the days of the Toronto blessing Okay, and, um, in the vineyard world. And so yeah. that had kind of like snuck into parts of Oklahoma city. And so it was one of those little living rooms where that was happening and there was it was just the wild charismatic frontier and so i'm up there leading and he can tell like i'm my eyes are like big <laughs> yeah. and there's people laughing and crying and rolling and spinning and all the things i've come to appreciate yeah. um but uh he just whispers in my ear while all this stuff's going on in this room he said just he said just look around the room ask god uh what he's doing and sing the scriptures over them. Uh -huh. And that is about the best worship leader advice I've ever gotten because it makes you pay attention to where you are yeah. in, in your body, where people are in the room and what God might be doing. And then the truth that you can lay over the room with the scriptures. So um, I still hold to that, hold to that advice to this day. So give us those steps again. Uh, yeah. Look around the room. Um, ask God what he's doing and then sing the scriptures over it. Yeah. And so, um, sometimes those scriptures came in songs that were already pre-prepared and sometimes I had to like thumb through the Bible to find something. And then it, it was just another step in my songwriting, like to, to grab a scripture in a live moment and see that a guy was struggling with, uh, depression. And mm -hmm. while people were praying over his depression, trying to break that chain, I can take a scripture about freedom in the presence of God and add my own lyric to it about chain breaking or beauty, beauty for ashes or whatever it is. And all of a sudden there's new songs coming out. Well, it's interesting because one of the questions I was going to ask what, is what does heartfelt worship look like? And you kind of pre-answered that, but how does, how does worship look like for you when music is not involved? Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been thinking about this a little, a little more fresh, and lately, I mean, I think, you know, worship is a surrendered life, a life laid down. It's a response to what Jesus has done in the cross and resurrection. God's the God, the way God reached out to save us through Jesus, the way that it says God so loved the world that he gave his son. Mm -hmm. Jesus draped his life over the world because God loved it so much. Yeah to get us and our response is called worship. So in some sense, our everyday taking out the trash, loving our kids, being patient with our spouses is, is worship when it's driven by a response to the good news of Jesus. And then you take it further past that. And then it's like, there's these, um, the, there's these actual ways that you can, these rhythms of grace or spiritual disciplines that you can engage. And I, I engage those sometimes really great, sometimes really poorly. Um, throughout my 30 years that I've walked with Jesus, they've had their ebbs and flows. And, um, and I've been thinking, so that was a long setup to say what, I, what I've been thinking about, what worship looks like. Um, not only is it our response to God in our spiritual disciplines and laying our life down and taking out the trash well, but it's actually con the continuation of being loved by God. And I think a lot of times our songs would say like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. And I think sometimes I see just a picture of our good father, like just holding out his hand in a really loving way yeah. and just saying, you know what? I also love you guys. All right. And I love you specifically. And um, so part of my worship has become again, a fresh, just pausing to go like, God, Father, pour your love into me. And that him continually pouring his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit 
continues to create like affection and devotion and that what we talked about early, you, you love me as I am, yeah. but you're, you're not leaving me where I am. And so he, again, I'm just returning to like, he's the one that's changing me and creating response. Um, and so that's kind of, that's an answer that includes everything, but actually standing on a stage and singing. <laughs> but yeah, for me, I've, I've, uh, you're familiar with Tim Timmons, I'm sure. Yeah. And his whole thing of how do I make the daily routines, taking out the trash, whatever, and he even boils it down to breathing. How do mm -hmm. I make that a remembrance and a recognition of my relationship with God and his relationship mm -hmm. with me? And he talks about things like, I breathe in, um, Lord Jesus, and I exhale, you have my heart. Or yeah. the red X that he puts on his hand every every day. And yeah. I've just been thinking about what does it look like for me in my daily routine to say, okay, I'm going to intentionally focus on worship of you because you love me. And it's not this, okay, I got to go worship now, but it's now born out of this just deep desire of intimacy with God. Yes. And so yes. what ways have you found that make that intimacy with God practical? I mean, you talked about some kind of high-end stuff, but what specific things have you found that work for you in that worship, that daily intimacy with God that you're talking about? Daily, for me, it's pausing uh, for a scripture. Mm -hmm. um, it's slowing down enough to read that scripture in a way that starts to um, be able to interrogate my own heart. So I might take... Um, it might take 15 minutes in the morning and it's not so that I have a check, a check mark on that 15 minutes, right? but I'm, tr I'm trying to empower my whole day and permeate my whole day by what happens in that 15 minutes. So, um, it's, it's often right now that I get to the edge of my chair, flat footed and hold out my hands. Mm. And I just say, you know, I might use a breath prayer, like what you were talking about from Tim. Um, but a lot of it right now is just saying, God, I receive your love. Mm. Father, I receive your love. Jesus, I receive your grace. Holy Spirit, I receive your fellowship that's free. And um, I'll rehearse that for a while. I'll think on a scripture. I'm learning to be quiet. Uh, I often, in the morning, this morning in particular, I took about a 10 minute walk and I just prayed over my meetings for the day mm. and, uh, and just invited God into it. Uh, another practical thing that I do maybe twice a week is I have a, um, I have a Celtic prayer book mm -hmm. that takes you through a, a call to worship, a confession of sin, uh, an assurance of the gospel. Um, one of the catechism questions, uh, just some, just some like, rich old ancient stuff yeah so i'm a i mean i i'm i'm quite a hybrid of of uh, maybe a, a spiritual mutt in terms of like i'm <laughs> i'm definitely charismatic um i love uh i love our our ancient heritage yeah. of our faith um and uh so between those two things i'll i'll really you know um exercise my both my spiritual gifts and then like really anchor myself in some of those uh, ancient traditions of even like taking the, you know, ACTS, the acts, mm. you know, mm -hmm. acronym of like adoration, um, confession, Thanksgiving, supplication there, there's times right now at my, in my space and time when I'm walking with God in my age that I'm like, I don't, I don't know where to start today, God. Yeah. And he'll remind me of like, adore me, you know? And, uh, and so I'll just spend a few minutes just saying, you know what, you, you are, you've, you've stayed close to me. You're so faithful. That was my adoration this morning was how constant he's been in my life. And just taking that, like that adoration starts to make your heart swell up a little bit. Mm. It's, there's so much to complain about in this life. There's so <laughs> yeah. much to, uh, just be cynical about and I'm, or a victim about, and I know that there is times to be cynical and victimized. But I do not want to live my life like that. Yeah. I'd rather just be filled up with like, oh my God, you are, 
faithful and true and merciful and compassionate on not just me, but my, the, the people that are walking the streets right yeah. next to me and yeah. the world around me. You're so faithful and constant. And you, you, spend your, you spend your time there and you let him heal the places where you could be a victim. And uh, life changes, man. Yeah. Well, what strikes me about what you've shared is I'm a, I'm a type A personality, always busy, always have something to do, always going. And one of my biggest struggles in my prayer life is I'll be praying and then all of a sudden I'm realizing I'm thinking about something I have to do at work or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And what yeah. you've just outlined is you have several tools that you, you have kind of in your toolbox, if you will, that every once yeah. in a while God will say, hey, go use this tool or go use this tool. And so it's not this, I have this checklist, I have to read 14 verses in the Psalms and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But it's just being open and saying, Lord, what is it that you want for us to do today? Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, it helps me. It helps me. I, I, you know, I know a lot of my close friends have Bible reading plans and they get a lot of benefit from the discipline of like, they're not making up that day what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. They've got, mm -hmm. they their plan has been handed to them. They know what to do. Uh, I'm a little fidgety and um, my body has to walk. And so I, I consistently listen to uh, the scriptures, even whether it's on the Bible app or there's an app called dwell uh -huh, right? Um, that has music behind it and they read the scriptures. It's perfect yeah. for attention deficit brothers and sisters <laughs> like myself. And um, so I, I often will start with that just as a, like if I'm laying in bed, I'm having a hard time getting up, but it's time to get up. I'll just hit play on dwell uh, and let them read scripture to me for five minutes. And yeah. that usually, I mean, the scripture is God's, uh, breath and mm. it's, it's, it's alive and it's active. And so it's kind of like, even when I feel a little bummed or sad or, uh, just not ready to face the day, um, man, I just take his word that's authoritative over my life and I'll just let it, I'll let someone read it over me and <laughs> yeah. it kind of starts waking up my heart. It's funny that you use the word waking up my heart because literally maybe three three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I programmed my Google Home to read my version Bible to me. Oh, wow. And that's my alarm clock. So when my alarm oh. close, clock goes off, it's the scripture that's reading it instead of a song or instead of that me, 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 you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I found a lot of times I'm not even aware of it, but as I become aware, as I wake up, it's like, oh the truth of God's word. And I'm, and I'm going yeah. through like 180 days in the Psalms right now. And so every wow. morning I'm waking up to a Psalm, you know, and, yeah. and it's That's just great. beautiful. But one of the things you said earlier was you let scriptures interrogate your heart. Mm. And I loved that phrase because so often it's just, we read and okay, I got my reading done, but to yeah. sit with it and let it kind of marinate, yeah. if you will. Yeah. I, I think it's uh I mean, hey, when I when I say some of the things I say, it's mostly because I'm working at them. Mm. Um, but the the interrogation of my heart is because we we live in a day and age where the world is the world at least has thrown out the the holy scriptures. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know I know that's just a, a large sweeping statement, but even I'd say even half the half the church is editing the scriptures along the way. Yeah. And so I'm I'm trying to say like, hey. God, this is your full counsel of the, the authoritative word that actually rules over my life. The Bible is not my, my buddy that I just get to grab mm. a few things from. And it's not something that I, I'm authoritative over the word. It's the, the word of God is authoritative over my life. So if that's true and it came, it's, it's a God-breathed, um, alive, active tool then I have to give the word of God a chance to interrogate me and show me where, where I'm, um, where I've been made whole and I can rejoice and where I I'm not experiencing the full mm. shalom of God. And yeah. it needs to, it needs to have its work in my life. Yeah. Well, we briefly touched on, you've been now at, uh, oh, I wrote it down here at frontline church in Oklahoma city. Would you say 12 years now? Yeah. Yeah. About 12 years. Yeah. So I, I'm 
very familiar with the pastors at my church and how involved they are and all that's going on and balancing ministry and leadership and worship and being a dad and a husband. And yeah. so what tricks have you learned uh, to balance family and ministry and recharging your own personal batteries, both emotionally and spiritually? And because <laughs> that's a lot of energy you're putting out. It's a lot of energy. Um, we have a, so we have a great team of pastors and that's number one. It helps, it helps so much. Uh, we have about 40 pastors. We have about 4,000 people, Okay, but we have about 40 pastors. So we try to, we, we, we try to do like one pastor per hundred people. Makes sense. And it's not like we're assigning people, but okay, right. I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse. I, <laughs> we, we preach hard here to our leadership team that Jesus is our first love. He's the reason why we started doing this in the first place. Yeah. Protect that first. And then we say, protect your, your marriage and, and kids. That's second. So if you're going to cheat something, cheat your work at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, Which kind of goes and, against the American way, right? You're supposed to right. plow, plow forward at your job. That's, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um. So I still so obviously the third step is we want to we want to be faithful and work diligently unto the Lord. Go for it. Let's work hard. Um, you know, we we want anybody in the in the marketplace that that works um, for them for them to be able to meet us and look at how we work and be like, wow, you guys work hard. Yeah. So that's kind of our three steps. And then, you know, once you get down into like ministry, then, then I would bring in like team ministry has changed everything for me to be able to lean on other guys and ladies mm-hmm. to, to, to get the work done. And then as far as recharging, um, man, I, learning to learning communion with God as play in the world has been really helpful. So, uh, you know, to, to view like a, a hike as a way that I'm communing with God or a, a long bike ride, a, a gravel bike ride is a way I commune with God yeah. or a great feast with friends, uh, as a way I commune with God, um, or making music that might not be overtly Christian as a way, as I commune with God is, has become important to me because it does refresh me. And I will say like, um, as a way I commune with God, because I always say to uh, the people that I lead, the teams that I lead, mm-hmm. um, you can enjoy God's gifts without him and it's sin. But when you enjoy God's gifts with him, it's holy. Uh, and there's just a, there's a little fine line, you know, yeah. it's like, I, I don't know if it's okay to say, but I enjoy wine uh-huh. and it's, uh, there's a way that I can enjoy it without God and it becomes sin. Mm. Yeah. And then there's a way I can celebrate with friends and be a blessing and, and, uh, um, an encouragement um, alongside of that, and to to do that toward God and unto God becomes something more holy. And I think of the the story I'll generally tell. It's like I can remember my son, who's twenty two now. When he was about four, I gave him this little Lego set, and I was just kind of watching TV while he was putting it together. And he was sitting at my feet putting it together, and he kept looking up and back at me like look mm. at what i'm doing look yeah at what i'm doing and that's the way i try to like engage you know play and art and hobby and feasting and um is like just keep looking back at god and smiling and saying look at what you gave me and look at what i'm doing with it yeah and anytime we kind of like go into the shadows and <laughs> and yep. use the gifts like oh you know it, we've crossed a line and we're all crossing those lines, but to bring those consistently back to God is the beauty of repentance, that he loves us and he receives us. And in Jesus, all is all is well and yeah. covered because of what he's done. And that creates worship. Well, and it ties back to what we were talking about earlier, about God loving us just the way we are, which means yeah. it includes our gifts, our interests, our, yeah. you know, and I think of the scripture and I've, and I've twisted it, maybe maybe I haven't. God gives us the desires of our hearts. I don't ever see that as, okay, God, I desire to have a Lamborghini, so give me a Lamborghini, but more, put in my heart what I desire. And so if I believe that and own that, then the, the music I enjoy, the yeah. the friends that I hang out with, the 
things that I do with my family that are fun, that's all God-given if, like you said, I'm at the feet of Jesus saying, hey, look, I'm using what you've given yeah, for yeah. something beautiful. Yeah, it's a good it's a good prayer. I mean, it's to say, like, God, if you could spend the rest of my living days putting what you want inside of me in a way that I want it, yeah, you know, then I'll I'll do my best to live out of what you what you desire, putting it in me, and me learning how to desire it and living out of it. It becomes a a powerful thing. Yeah. So. Talking about music, this is a music podcast, and we're talking about uh, the people who've been responsible for the the soundtrack of the Christian faith. Obviously, you're spending a lot of time right now pouring music in, mentoring people who do music for your congregation there at Frontline. Mm-hmm. What have you been doing musically? And the last thing that I have record of is The Death of Death, which you did back in 2013. What have yeah. you been doing musically since then, as far as just for your, your enjoyment or for, for others' enjoyment, too? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've uh, just creating a songwriting culture of right here at my church. Yeah. So I've got, I'll lead um, pretty good sized teams of, of artists and worship leaders. Um, and I'm teaching them how to, you know, how to collaborate and how to be disciplined to, to write and to move forward. And then, so our um, frontline music is probably, I've, I've given, I've turning a handful of songs to frontline music and frontline music has produced five or six records okay. that, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, you know, for, for a bunch of, uh, you know, budding artists and worship leaders that they've written some really beautiful stuff. And so I'd say, you know, the last, I guess that's nine or 10 years, you know, has been really pouring in right here. And I think is, I think, I don't know. It's like, I want, as I get older, I want to be a spiritual father in that way. Like I'm not, I'm not laying, laying down saying I I quit, you know, Christian music. I don't want anything to do. You know, it's like, I want to keep chipping away, but I'm in the years of passing the baton as I chip away. I can't remember the passage, but it's like Jacob, it's, it's, I think maybe Hebrews, Jacob leans on his staff and worships and leaves a blessing. Mm. So it's, it's all in like one or two verses. Okay. And he leans, he leans on the very staff that crippled him as he wrestled with God. Uh So he leans on that, on that thing. And then it says he worships and he leaves a blessing. And I still, I think I'm trying to mirror, mirror that I'm trying to lean on all of my wounds and weaknesses and my story and all my losses and the things that have been beautiful awards or whatever it's been. Yeah. I'm trying to lean on all those things and just worship and then leave a blessing or pass the baton, whatever it is, so that there's a, another generation that's, that's come up underneath me and, and, uh, um, I don't know, been, been lifted up. Yeah. Well, the last question that I had on my list of questions to ask you was about mentorship, and that's what you've been talking about is mentorship, discipleship, we call it in church circles, but that's it's investing in your community so that they can continue on and actually multiply it beyond what you could probably do individually. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I've, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've spent the last, you know, I feel like from the time God saved me, I always, there's just a natural thing inside of me to, to want to give myself away and be an encouragement and pass things on. But at 19, 20, 21, 22, you have, you just have a smaller pool to, to give things from. Right. Yeah. And then as you, as you age, as you, as you go through the decades and real hard life happens and real amputations happen Mm. and also real blessings happen you're able to pull from both, um, you know, the, all the things that we, that God does through blessing and pain. And we're able to give something real uniquely. If we can just kind of hang in there, keep walking with God and, and keep ourselves in the love of God in a place that we can, uh, care more about giving it away. Um, man, it's, it becomes powerful. So I've been very purposeful about building groups, about building a culture, about teaching the people that I'm teaching how to pass things on 
And um, uh, I've just I've been super methodical and disciplined about it over the last uh, 10 years. Well, I think it's all about, I mean, Jesus modeled it with his disciples, right? Helping yeah. folks, helping these 12 focus on, take what I'm teaching you and let's let's work on it together. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Yeah. It's good. I, I, uh, I think probably a year or so ago, I discovered, like, someone said, what is... What's your greatest desire in ministry? And I, and I just said, you know, my greatest desire in ministry is to leave a legacy that has that's such a flourishing culture of Jesus and artists and love for the church and care for the planet Earth, um, that it just keeps reproducing itself. So, of course, they cheered that idea. And... Um, and then they said, well, what's your greatest fear in ministry? And I said, I think it's being forgotten that I was the one that created the legacy. Mm. And so my my greatest desire and my greatest fear in ministry is a tension that pulls against each other all the time. Yeah, interesting. And so I have to be disciplined to, um, to own my life uh, and to be willing to be a seed that dies. So I have a lot to give. Yeah. But I also need to be willing to die, and um, um, so you know that's a constant uh, that's a constant fight in my heart. And I, I think you know I used to lead worship, and I and if it went well, I'd come off the stage and I'd be like, man, I did I did a really good job today. And then as you get older, you're kind of like, wow, God really moved today. Mm-hmm. But I'm also realizing like I you know if if I lead if I lead something. God moves. I go, God, you really moved today. Man, I hope people know who, who was behind that, you know, that I worked alongside of you. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I just think we're such, we're such twisted, you know, people, but I'm trying to own all that twistedness and bring it into the light and just let, let God work and then create this legacy that he just takes over. And as my life to uh, what, I can't remember who the author is, great Catholic writer but he has a whole chapter on giving your death away Hmm. and uh uh i love that to give because we talk about giving our lives away but to give our death away is so profound well every saturday i send out a newsletter to a bunch of folks who have committed themselves to praying for artists and the people who are making music. What are some specific things that we can be praying for Charlie and for the work that you're doing in the weeks and the months that are coming in front of us? You know, I'd say like uh, as a as a father whose kids are, are getting older, I wanna be present to them in the appropriate way. You don't get to coddle late teenagers and uh, college students. You, you have to learn to be fatherly and present and embrace them and empower them in a whole new way. And so, uh, of course, I want to be a, I've got an, an amazing wife and I just want to continue to be a present, you know, loving husband that leads well and also receives from her strength. And then at my, you know, at, at the church, you know, I could lean on the prayers that we talked about earlier. Just. That, I, that my ministry would decrease and Jesus' ministry would increase. So I'll, I'll join the prayer of John the Baptist there just to raise up leaders. And and uh, you know how powerful it is for, you know, for men uh, in our in our season to put our hands on people's backs and, and not want something from them, but to give them something uh, that they can walk in the rest of their lives with. And then lastly, I really want to be a peaceful presence in my city. Like as I walk in a coffee shop or in a restaurant or uh, to a concert, like I want people to find my presence to be peaceful. Whether they agree with my faith or not, I just want them to see me as like, there's, there's Charlie, at a minimum he cares about us. For my closing thoughts today, I'm thinking of the Keith Green song from his 1978 album, No Compromise. Do you remember these? I make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words, 
no white lies, no token prayers, no compromise. I want to shine the light you gave through your son that you sent to save us, to save us from ourselves and our despair. It comforts me to know you're really there. This song really fits the notion of worship as part of our daily routine. Well, maybe routine isn't even the right word for it, because that kind of implies something that I do out of duty. I'm striving to make worship as critical to my spiritual life as breathing is to my physical life. If I don't take a breath, I'll die. And I'm starting to recognize that if I don't worship, I might just die spiritually. I'm reminded of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. They talked about how Mount Gerizim was the holy place of worship for the Samaritans. But the Jews, well, they believed that true worship had to happen in Jerusalem. Jesus' response in John 4, I think, is really appropriate for today. And he said, Believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The time is coming, well, actually, in fact, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. So what then is worship? Worship asks God to pour into us because we can't do this life stuff independently. Worship is being thankful for God's forgiveness. Worship recognizes that God loves me just as I am, but he isn't interested in leaving me just as I am. And ultimately, worship creates affection and devotion towards God. How do you worship God as part of your life? We talked about letting Scripture interrogate our hearts. We looked at using our interests and activities as avenues for worship. We talked about technology like the Dwell app, then using that to focus our worship. And we talked about making prayer like breathing. I'd really be interested in hearing how you incorporate worship into your daily life. Would you be willing to share what worship looks like to you? What practices have you found helpful in focusing your attention on God? I would sure be honored if you'd send me a message by visiting christianmusicarchive.com and click the contact link at the bottom of the page. Or you can shoot me a direct message on the social sites by searching for at CCM Exchange. But however you do it, I'm really interested in hearing about meaningful worship exercises that you participate in. Thank you for joining me for this conversation today. I'm grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's incredible faithfulness. Next week, I'm talking with Scotty Inman. He's a member of the Southern Gospel group Triumphant Quartet. He just released a solo album, and I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. So be sure to join me next week and every week when I share stories of the people you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. Finally, to wrap things up, I want to remind you that God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. It's time for another Mischievous Mowers Miscellaneous Misquotes. I didn't like my beard at first, but then it grew on me.